Honesty. What's the word? Honesty. Honesty. Exodus 20 verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, Most translations say you shall not lie. So before I get into the principle behind this, let me just tell you exactly what the the, uh, face value is of this scripture. So back in those days, there was two million or so Israelites, and of course there were fights and disputes and businesses along the pack and things would happen. And so whenever there was something wrong, they would call upon some of the elders, which were men over 50 years old in this particular tribe, Israeli tribe at this time, and they'd meet at the city gates and hear both sides. But listen, there was no DNA. There was no NCIS. You know, Agent Gibbs was not available. There was no fingerprinting. Uh, There was no security cameras, nothing like that. So everything relied on the mouth of two or three witnesses. And because Israel was a uh, capital punishment society and people died, uh, your witness, what you say you saw, could cause someone to be killed. So in other words, you couldn't say something based on your feelings. Well, I I just feel like that's the one that did it. Or I'm pretty sure he said this. No, you couldn't do that. It had to be yes or no. Did you see this? And you had to be honest. I did see him work on the Sabbath day. I did see that child disobey their parents or whatever the situation was. And if they, had, if they killed the person because of what they did, and somehow later on they found out that your word wasn't entirely correct, you would be killed. So imagine if your words out of your mouth, when you talked about people, imagine if it was that serious. Here's the more thing. If your witness or your testimony was the reason someone died, you were required to throw the first stone at them. Which brings to light John 8 when they caught the woman in adultery and Jesus said, whoever was out of sin cast the first stone. So you you were the first. So imagine that you would be very, very um, inclined to tell the whole truth. In fact, do you know that our American judicial system, the United States of America, has got their laws from the Mosaic law, from the Bible, and their judicial system. That's why when you go to court, they tell you an oath. They say, do you swear to tell the truth? The whole truth and so help me. Okay, so that's what. So in, in, ancient, in ancient Egypt at the time, if you lied, they cut off your nose and your ears. They amputated them. So you could walk through society and you knew who the liars were. I mean, you could spot the liars a mile away. You knew not to trust somebody if they didn't have a nose. You know, Michael Jackson. And so, uh, and so let me tell you. So in Matthew five thirty four, you know. Uh, I'm showing you how there's a New Testament commandment with all the Old Testaments, right? So everything in the Old Testament is in the New Testament. I don't care what anyone else teaches. Listen, Old Testament, New Testament, watch. Uh, Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 5, 34, Jesus said, don't swear an oath at all, verse 37. All you need to do is say yes or no. Here's what he's saying. You don't have to swear to God. I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. Or I'm going to be honest with you now. Or okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. No, no. You need to always tell the truth is what he's saying. Everything out of your mouth should be the truth. You should be able to say yes or no and it be the truth. You shouldn't have to swear. Uh, one time they were asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? And he wasn't saying anything until an authority figure, the high priest, invoked the ninth commandment on him. And in Matthew 26, 63, Jesus was silent until the high priest said, swear an oath by God, tell us if you're the Christ. Because he invoked the ninth commandment, Jesus had to answer. In other words, uh, tell me the truth. He had to respond and so he said, yes, I am. Now, I want to make sure before we get into the deep stuff that y'all know what it means to lie. Because I feel like maybe some of y'all don't understand what lying is. Uh, so let me just ask you some questions. Uh, you know, in the Bible, the word dishonesty means to withhold. So let me ask you this. If you're selling something on eBay and you withhold information that you think that buyer needs to know about, is that lying? Yes. 
Yes, that's lying. Okay. Next question. Is exaggerating, let's say, you, you caught a fish today, but by the time you get to work tomorrow, the two-pound fish became eight pounds. Is that a lie? Yes. yes. <laughs> Randy says no, but it is. So... How about this? All-inclusive expressions. You always do this to me. You never treat me like that. Are those lies? Yes, they're lies. Now, this next one, I'm going to say before I say it, I had a different word on this next one, but my wife told me to change the word. Okay, so I changed it. I'm going to just read it quick, and then we'll just skip over it. Ready? The Easter Bunny. <clears throat> I don't know what you're telling your kids. Okay, next script. Next, let's say, okay. If you're habitually late, in other words, if you say, I'll be there at 5 o'clock and you're there at 5.30. I'll be there at 6, you're there at 6.05. I'll be there at 9, you're there at 9.15. Are you a liar? Yes, you're a liar. <laughs> if you tell somebody you're going to do something, uh, we had to hire a guy to do some palm tree stuff here a few weeks ago, and he said, it was on a Wednesday, and he said, I'll be there by Friday. Well, he didn't show up Friday, so I called him on Sunday. He said, I'll be there first thing tomorrow morning. He didn't show up on Monday, so I texted him on Wednesday and said, do we need to call somebody else? Like, no big deal. Should we call someone else? He sent me this massive text. You don't know what I've been through, and I lost my two workers, and my truck blew up, and all this kind of stuff. But listen, all he had to do was call and say, okay, on Friday, I said I could be there, but something happened, so it's going to be another seven days. And if he told me seven days and showed up in five days, I'd be happy. But if he tells me I'll be there in one day and shows up seven days later, he's a liar. <laughs> Is that lying? Yes, yes, keep your word. Um, years ago, I went through a, a Pure Life uh, Ministries course. It was a six-month course. And the way they start you off is they go through your entire life from childhood to adulthood and a have you answer questions to see what you need to repent for. They want, they want to like start your whole heart fresh, your whole mind fresh. So there's like 100 questions, and none of the questions have maybe or sometimes or once. It's always yes or no. One question was, have you ever had impure thoughts? And I couldn't say maybe or one time or when I was 16. It was like yes or no. So, of course, you know, you say yes. I'll never forget. The next question was so funny. It said this, are you a liar? And in parentheses it said, be honest. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, I'm not a liar. Oh, if I need to be honest about it, then okay, I've, I've lied before. Okay, so here's the question for today. Are you an honest person? Um, I think the principle behind the ninth commandment is a lot deeper than what you think it is, okay? So for your handouts, for your notes, there's three points, and point number one is this, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Uh, many people and many adults, so, so young people listen, because if you, if, you, if you get honest with yourself now, your life will be better, but many adults go through their whole life never being honest about who they really are. They've lied to themselves so much, they think they really are the person they portray themselves to be. Something happened in their life when they were a child or when they were a teenager or as a young adult, and from that moment on, they started to become this person on the outside that they're really not on the inside. And they wonder why they're not seeing the right fruit in their life. They're wondering why the relationships aren't successful. They're wondering why they're not making money or whatever the case is. And it's because they're not being honest and true with who they really are. The most difficult people for a pastor or for anyone to help is dishonest people. Uh, dishonest people always pass the blame to someone else. It's never their fault. They've done nothing wrong. It's always somebody else. The reason they're angry is because their spouse said the wrong thing. Uh, the reason they're poor is because their boss fired them. Uh, the reason they're discouraged is because their friend walked out on them. It's always they can never take responsibility 
for the choices they make, the thoughts they think, the actions that they take. It's always passing the blame. Proverbs 26, 2 says the curse does not come without a cause. Here's what this means. There's a reason that God may not be using you to the level that you want Him to use you. There's a reason that you can't pay your bills on time. There's a reason that you don't have relationships that are healthy. There's a reason you don't have the right friendships around you. There's a reason. Now, out of 100%, I think 1% of the time it's the devil. 1% of the time we're doing our best and just waiting on God. But I think 98% of the time there's something that God's trying to get you to deal with. There's something he's trying to get you to be honest about. Something that you see reoccurring in your life over and over and over again. And all you got to do is recognize it because that's where healing starts. But too many times, it's always someone else's fault. Uh, in John chapter 5, the Bible talks about this crippled man by the pool of Bethesda. Uh, I want to say two things about that. First of all, I don't think he was crippled physically. I think that if you ever read John 5, I think the man was crippled emotionally. I think he rolled around in an emotional wheelchair. Uh, the other thing is the pool of Bethesda represents the house of God, the church. Now, I could do a whole Hebrew teaching on that, but just take my word for it for now. The house of God. It was a place where miracles occurred. It was a, it was a, a, fan, a big um, neighborhood pool, and without a given notice, an angel would appear, stir up the waters, and the first person in the pool, after the angel did that, would be healed. And so around this pool was lame, crippled, sick people all the time, just waiting for the angel so they could be the first ones in the pool to be healed. And so Jesus came walking by and he saw the guy laying there. And in John 5, verse 5, it says this, There was a certain man who had a deep-rooted and lingerie disorder. I'm just kidding, that says lingering. But that'd be so funny. Because, <laughs> you know, anyway, he had a lingering disorder for 38 isn't that funny though? I just thought that's so, I just laughed about that for like 20 minutes. That'd be a horrible disorder, wouldn't it? But anyway, he had a deep rooted and lingering disorder for 38 years. 38 years he came to church and left the same person. 38 years he sat around where people were being healed and nothing happened to him. 38 years he battled the same thing over and over and over again and nothing changed in his life. And so Jesus comes up to him in verse 6 and he asks him a question. Do you really want to become well? In other words, I notice you're at church. I notice you're by the pool of Bethesda. I notice you're around a place where miracles occur. But my question is, do you want to be well? Do you like being comfortable where you're at or do you want change in your life? What I find is so interesting, the man never says yes. He never says to the Son of God, yes, I want to be well. He never says to Jesus the Messiah, yes, I want change in my life. I'm tired of living this way. I think that by the pool of Bethesda, I bet you there were some codependent people that would always bail him out. I bet you there was a mom or dad that came walking by and would give him food. I bet you there were people from church that would come by and hand him money. And he's laying there, and I don't think he's crippled physically. He's crippled emotionally. And he just was so comfortable where he was at. I, you know, I've even I had somebody years ago, and uh, I remember they, they had a, a sickness and they were handicapped. I remember I said to him, I said, I said to him, let's pray that God will heal you. And he said this to me, if I get healed, I'm going to have to get a job. So I'm fine just the way I am. I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> what in the world? And so verse 7, here's his response. Lord, here's, here's what. Do you want to be well? Lord, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water's stirred. I try to get in, but here it is. Somebody else. 
Somebody else always gets there first. Somebody else always makes me angry. Somebody else always disappoints me. Somebody else always doesn't pay me for what I've done. Somebody else always treats me bad. My parents didn't treat me bad. When I, when I, the way I was raised wasn't fair. When I went to school, I got beat up. I was abused by this person. God, it's not fair. Life's been unfair to me, and that's why I'm in this place. And Jesus, he never said, yes, I want to be healed. And Jesus never said, be healed. So interesting to me. Jesus never said, you're healed. He said to them in verse 8, get up. Get in that. You know, we read, we read words like, you know how you read a text and you think you know what that person, I can't believe they said that. Me, and on the other line, the person's smiling, you know, just sending a text. Well, I believe when we read this text, you think Jesus is smiling. I don't think he's smiling. I think he let him say, get up. Get up. I don't know what your excuse is. Your legs are working fine. Get up and go forward in life. Don't stay here. Pick up this thing that's caused you to be comfortable. Pick it up, take it with you, and move forward. And you know, a lot of people, they come to church, but there's no change in their life. They don't ever pick up their bed and walk. They, cut, they have their excuses. They have, oh, poor old me. And Jesus saying, the first step to victory is to admit your need for Jesus. You, got, you know, if I asked you, do you need Jesus? Everybody would say yes. If I said, what areas do you need Jesus? You'd say, well, I just need him to get through my day. No, I want to know the specifics. What areas do you rely on Jesus for? I want you to say something like this. I'm addicted to pornography and I need Jesus. I get easily angered and I need Jesus. I get offended all the time and I need Jesus in that area. I want you to recognize and be honest. Here's the things I struggle with. It's been like this year after year after year. And so I need Jesus to change me. I need him to do something in my life. The first step to victory is to admit your need for Jesus. So years ago, whenever I used to counsel, which I don't, so don't come to me. Um, but I would, when I did... Um, the teenagers made this very creative pie. I would have a pie in my counseling session. Here's the thing about um, your life. Every area of your life, every conflict you've ever been in, every problem you've ever faced from the time you were a child, it always involved you and someone else or something else, okay? In every case, there's a pie. You get to determine how much of this pie you're going to eat. God will only, yes, Loretta, and I got a lot of pie for you. God will only heal you in the areas in which you take up your piece of the pie. God can only change you in the areas in which you take up your piece of the pie. This is actually called crow pie. I don't know if y'all like to eat crow, but that's what kind of pie this is. In other words, in every problem, in every conflict, you have to decide what was my piece. Because listen real close. You can't do anything at all about the other person's piece of pie. There's nothing you can do. You can tell me all day long how they hurt you, what they said, but there's nothing that can change in your life concerning them. The only person you can take to Jesus to change is yourself. Um, let me say something that may be very difficult, very, very hard, but let's say you're abused as a child, okay? No one deserves that at all. Nobody, nobody, nobody. But here's my question. After it happened, did a, a seed of hatred enter your heart? That's a piece of pie that you need help with. Did a seed of unforgiveness or bitterness or, or whatever, did that enter your heart? And, you, and maybe you made a vow, I'll never let a man ever touch me again. And so now in your marriage, you have problems in that area. Here's this, I know you didn't deserve it, but listen, there's a piece of pie. There's a little piece, of, it's a little piece, but there's a piece of pie. In most conflicts and problems, you should at least have half the pie, at least. I, I, you're a prideful person if you can't take up half the pie in every conflict. A humble person always gets at least half the case. Let me ask this. They hurt my feelings last week. Did you gossip about them? That's a piece of pie that God needs to heal in your heart. That's a sin. Um, did you get offended? There's another sin right there. That's a piece of the pie. you got to be able to find out how much pie. The more pie you can take, the more growth you'll have. 
In other words, if you're perfect and none of it belongs to you, then why are you even by the pool of Bethesda? Why are you even in church? We're here because we have problems. It's not a museum to display perfect people. It's a hospital to heal the broken, the sick, the lonely. Let's say you had the flu, okay? You're throwing up, you're weak, you're, you're, you haven't eaten anything, you're sweating, you got a fever, and someone talks you into coming to the doctor. You go to the hospital. You go to the hospital to be healed. And the doctor gets for you and says, okay, what's wrong? And you say, oh, nothing's wrong with me. Well, you're throwing up all over the place, uh, but I'm not sick. But you got a fever. Nope, I'm okay. Everything's fine with me. Then why are you at the hospital? If you're perfect and you do nothing wrong and you don't get any of this pie, then why are you even here? We're here because we need Jesus to help us in every situation, in every conflict I go through. I make a note on my laptop on what I could have done better. They may have cussed me out, done the most horrible thing, talked about me behind my back, but what did I do? Did I show them mercy or did I withhold it? There's something. Did I trust them too quickly? Did I, did I not spend as much time as I should? In the, what, what did, what's my peace? Because the only way I can prevent this from happening again is if I take some pie. Because there's always going to be other people with problems in my life and I can't change them. There's always going to be a spouse, a friend, a church member, a child. There's always going to be something that they do. I can't change any of you, but I can help God. I can let God change me. I got to get my peace of the Bible. What is my peace? How could I have handled this differently? Every time you have a fight with your spouse, you got to take half the pie. I don't care what they said or did. The more pie you take, the more humility comes into your life and the more God changes you. I can only receive healing in the areas that I recognize I'm sick. If I'm not sick, then none of this belongs to me. And I'm just a perfect person and everything I do is great and I never make a mistake. I handle every single circumstance the right way. That's how a lot of people actually are. They're never honest with themselves. You try to hand them a piece of pie, they don't want any of it. It's always someone else. This is a pretty good sermon. You know, um, I'll tell you why counselors hate me. I've gone to a lot of counselors in my life. Every time I have a major problem, I go to a counselor, and I go to a good one. I spend 150 bucks an hour. Here's why none of them ever like me. Because when I go to counseling, I first get as much pie as I possibly can, and I go and say, listen, I'm paying you for wisdom. Okay, you're on the outside. You should be wiser than me. You should be good at this. So let me tell you, here's what I've done. Here's my problem. Here's how I reacted. Here's how I acted. Here's what I thought. Here's what I said and did. Now you tell me everything I can do to change. What is my problem? How did I handle it wrong? And what can I do better next time? And the counselor's jaw drops. And then here's what they're thinking is, I thought that I'd at least it takes 16 or 17 sessions until someone said something like that. I'm going to save you a lot of money in counseling, okay? The reason counselors make a lot of money, and if you're a counselor, I still love you and we need you and I love counselors, but the reason they make a lot of money is because they think you're going to come in there and you're going to spend 16 sessions talking about your wife, talking about your kids, talking about the way you were raised, talking about the government, the president, and everyone else that you don't like and did you wrong. And after about 20 sessions and $5,000, the counselor looks at you and says, what's the common denominator in everything you've told me for the past six months? And you say, <gasps> me? Screw it up. <laughs> me? Yes, you're the common denominator. And you think, wait a minute, do I really have a problem? Have I really done? Could I have handled this? Oh my God, I can't believe this. And you just wasted $5,000. Hey, let, me, let me save you a lot of money. You got problems. <laughs> and no matter where you go, you can't get away from you. You can move to another state. You can change a job. You can get a different spouse. But if you don't recognize the things that's going on in your heart and you're not honest with yourself, you'll never grow. Never, never, never. 
Wow, don't you love sermons like this? These are just the best. <laughs> okay, so number two is this. You got to be honest with people. Be honest with people. Uh, James 5, 16. Listen, confess your faults, okay? <laughs> don't go to somebody and confess somebody else's faults. That's called gossip. Confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed, not forgiven, okay? You do not need to confess anything to any person to be forgiven. You go to God to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. We understand that, okay? So this is not, you know, meet me in the booth later on and, and I'll give you some Hail Marys and stuff like that. It's not that at all, okay? you got to confess your faults so you can be healed. Here's why. When you bring things to light, it, 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 it causes, um, it causes um, accountability. It causes your true self to come out. Uh, it causes you to be who you really are. Now, let me tell you, when you're going to somebody to confess your faults, let me tell you what you look for. There's two different things you look for in a person. Number one, they need to love you enough to not condemn you. They need to love you enough to not say, I can't believe you did that. What's wrong with you? I'm never going to talk to you. No, 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 that's the wrong kind of friend. But listen, they need to love you enough to not let you sit by that pool of Bethesda one more year. They need to love you enough to say, okay, I heard it. I love you. Let's pray. And let's find some options and solutions. You need to get up, take up your bed, and go forward in life. They need to love you both sides, okay? Don't go to a friend, oh, you're so, I can't believe that happened to you. You're so sweet. Nobody should ever treat you that way. You're just a little angel. That's a bad friend. That's an enabler. You'll never grow with that kind of friendships. Friends sharpen each other. Sharpen, sharpen, sharpen. But you don't need to go to somebody that condemns you and tells you you're awful and I can't believe you did this. You need somebody that loves you enough to push you forward in life. Push you forward. So the reason that we are not honest with people is because we go through some kind of a hurt or situation in life. And when that happens, a lot of times this human flesh nature is to put on a mask. And we wear the mask so much around those people in those places, circumstances, that it becomes natural to us and we never let anybody in. And uh, it's, it's, we're so scared to be honest with people because we think they're not going to love us, they're not going to lock us if they knew who we really were. Here's the thing is though, everybody has problems. So if someone's shocked at your problems, they're wearing a mask themselves in life, okay? So there's some different masks that we can wear. There's a church mask. And this church mask, man, we can... We can cuss somebody out on Saturday night and then come to church and say, Oh, Lord, you're good. Your mercy endures. I love you so much. That's wearing a mask. And I'm not telling you to tell people you cuss other people out. I'm saying be real. Say, listen, this is who I am. I struggle with this and I need help. We can get drunk three times a week and then say, Pastor, can I lead a Bible study and draw people closer to Jesus? You can, but you got to be honest and say, Here's my problem and I need help and I want to change. Jesus got most upset with the religious people who wore masks at church. Uh, we have a mask for social media. Oh my goodness, the social media mask. Listen, when you see somebody taking pictures of themselves in a bathing suit all the time and you think, man, she is so confident in her body, she's the most insecure person in the entire world. The reason she takes pictures of herself half naked all the time on Facebook because she wants affirmation and likes because she thinks it's going to make her feel confident, but it's not. She's wearing a mask. We have a social media mask for, for our money. We, we, we want people to think we're making a lot of money, so we take pictures of our cars and we take pictures of our house and we're on vacation all the time and look at us. Listen, the credit card companies are calling those people every day and they're going to lose everything. They're trying to got on a mask. We wear a mask in our marriage on social media. We want people to think we're so in love. We're just, oh, we love each other. So every day is our anniversary and our honeymoon and we just love They hate each other. They want to kill each other. They're on the verge of divorce, but they don't want anybody to know, so they wear a mask. We wear a mask in our marriage. 
We can't ever let our spouse really know what's going on. We don't want our spouse to know that we struggle with lust. We don't want our spouse to know that we really have these awful thoughts. And we don't want our spouse to know that sometimes we don't even know if God's real or not in our life. If you can't be honest with your spouse, who can you be honest with? But listen, if your spouse comes to you and says, I battle with lust, or I looked at someone today, or there's a lady at work I'm struggling with, if you say, I can't believe you did this again 17 years ago, you did this to me, I can't believe I'm done with you, you're training that person to be a liar. You're training them to lie to you. You need to prepare your hearts, ladies, for your husband to come to you with honesty and say, listen, I struggle. It doesn't mean he struggles with love. It's lust. It has nothing to do with love at all. It's probably something that was put in him as a teenager when he was going in the wrong direction. And he just needs help with it. He needs to be honest and real with somebody. Do not, do not condemn your... And listen, teenagers, when you go to your parents, let me tell you how to have the greatest four years of your high school life. Be honest with your parents. They know everything that you're battling. They've battled it themselves and they've probably done it ten times. I mean, they have probably snorted it, shot it, and everything else. Just be honest with them. And when you go to your parents with honesty, your parent better say, okay, I love you. That doesn't surprise me. I love you. I know what it's like. And we're going to get through it. We're going to pray together. We're going to work it out. I'm not going to scream and yell and condemn you. But listen, we're not going to do this again. If I have to walk with you every day, if I have to pray for you for an hour every night, we're going to get through this. It's not going to stay this way. you got to find people you can be honest with that love you enough to not condemn you and love you enough to not let you stay where you're at. Take off the mask. Listen, God doesn't want the pretend you. He doesn't want the Facebook you. He doesn't want the, the, the mask that you wear at work. He doesn't want the social media you. He wants the real you. And until you take off the mask, you'll never be healed. Your life will never change. We have a mask that we wear at work. Actually, that one's, that one's probably actually what you all look like at work. But anyway, and so... All through the book of Proverbs, there's two different types of people. All through Proverbs, okay? You can read it. It's the greatest book in the Bible. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses about a wise person and a fool. Wise and fool. In every situation, every counseling situation, in every, everyone in this room either falls under the, one of the two categories. You're either a fool or a wise person. Everyone in here. Every Christian, fool or wise person. There's a thousand verses on it. I'm going to read you one so you can see the difference. Uh, Proverbs 9, 8, correct a wise man and he'll love you. In other words, a wise person says, listen, I need to know how this won't continue. I need to know how I can grow past this. I need to know what it is I'm doing wrong. What happened? What kind of root is there on the inside of me that God was, help me, I want to get past this. And then you have a fool. And if you correct a fool, they'll hate you. You can't tell them they've done anything wrong. Maybe they're perfectionists. They can never admit fault. Maybe they've been so deceived for 20 years wearing a mask. But if you even remotely tell them that they have a piece of the pie, they will cut you. Not only will they not receive it, they'll hate you. They will run from you. They will avoid you at all costs. You know why, and, and this isn't all the cases, but why a lot of people go to big mega churches is so they can hide really well. They want to be a Christian, but they want to wear it. And that's not, that's not all megachurches. I'm just saying, and a lot of them, a lot of people flock to those so they can keep their mask on. They don't want anybody, especially at church, to know anything negative about them. Let me tell you a secret, okay? I know a lot about y'all that you don't think I know. I know who's having sex outside of marriage. I know who's addicted to pornography. I know who battles homosexuality. I know who cuts themselves. I know who does drugs. I know who gets drunk three times a week. I know things about y'all. And listen, 
I love you. It's okay. You don't have to be two people here. You don't have to be two people in this place. You can be the real you and we will love you so much, but we're not going to let you stay there. We're going to push you forward until it hurts. We're going to make you stretch forth your hand when you don't think you, you haven't stretched forth that hand in 20 years. We'll make you do it. You've been laying by the pool for 38 years. We're going to force you up if we have to get a crane from outside and pick you up and swing you around the church. We're going to make sure you don't stay in that bed the rest of your life. You can be real. Now listen, I love you in spite of all that. God already paid for those sins. Why not bring them to light? 2 Corinthians 3.18, with our faces uncovered, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Let me tell you the sexiest thing about my wife, okay? Sexiest thing. It's not her outside looks, it is not her personality, and it's not her talent. She could be 500 pounds, ball-headed, one leg, and work at IHOP, and I would still think she's sexy. And here's why. Every time she gets incredibly emotional or verbal or we have a discussion and, um, and she just lets it all out, every time within 24 hours, within 24, sometimes within two or three hours, but always within 24 hours, she always comes back with her pie. She says, you know what, I shouldn't have said this. This was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't add like that. I would rather a spouse that just tells me everything they're thinking and repents for it later than one that holds it all in and you never know who that person really is. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what they're feeling. And you don't want a spouse that lets it all out and it's always your fault and never theirs. They did nothing wrong. You want a friend, a spouse, a pastor, a leader, a counselor, someone you can go to. You can let it all out and they'll love you. And they'll also make you eat some pie when you're done. That's the kind of person you need in your life. Uh, Galatians, I'll tell you this, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking too long. My last point's very short. But um, Man, years ago, I was pastoring a church, and we had three Sunday morning services. All of them were full. And I spent years just letting people control me, and I was someone I wasn't, and I just felt like I couldn't be honest with anybody. And my friends had masks on, and I was wearing a mask. And so two Sundays... Three services each. I just got up and I told everything I'd ever done. I just couldn't hold it in. Now, I don't suggest you do that, okay? That's not how you do it. I was not wise with that. But I just want everybody to know this is who I am. I've done this and this and this. I don't want to be this way. I want change. I want someone to love me and help me. And 99% of every person walked out on me. 99% of But listen, if a friend walks out on you, when you're completely honest, they were never your friend in the first place. In fact, they're wearing a mask, and they're embarrassed to be around you when you take your mask off. That's how long they've had a mask. Man, it's one of the... Galatians 6, 1 says, Any person that's overtaken in sin, you who are spiritual should not leave them there. You who are spiritual should gently restore them. I would rather be trained... I actually had pastors tell me one time, if you want to have a big church, just leave your mask on and let everyone think you're perfect. That's what they want to believe. It's a persona. It'll help you grow your church. Man, that's the most stressful thing to be two people. I would rather y'all know everything about me and, and love me, hate me, whatever, than for you to know half of stuff and then you find out and get shocked. You'll never be shocked by anything you hear about me because I'll tell you first. You come to me with anything and I'll say, yep, I did it and I repented and I want change in my life. It's not the sin that destroys us. It's when we don't deal with the sin. That's the problem. So, uh, number three, final point. Be honest with God. 
All three steps are very vital. All three, and I can tell you from experience, all three steps are very vital. You have to be honest with yourself because here's what it says in Psalms 51.6. God wants truth from our inner being, from the inside. Then he'll give us wisdom. Now, a lot of times we think, God, I want wisdom. How do I get through this? Why does this keep happening? How can I grow past this? What do I need to work on? Is it faithfulness? Is it loyalty? Is it, what do, I, do I need to shut my mouth up? God, tell me, tell me, tell me. And God says, okay, I'll tell you, but you got to bring me truth first. Bring me truth from the inside, and then I'll show you wisdom, and I'll show you how to handle it. You know, Jesus got most upset with the Christians who came to church with the mask on. Not the sinners that were out there and didn't believe in God and that kind of thing. But he got most upset with the people who came to church and left their mask on. He said in uh, Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you. Now watch this. Scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you pastors, worship leaders, co-facilitators, Bible study leaders, anyone with influence in the body of Christ. Woe to you church leaders. He's talking to people that actually did a lot of good things. He's talking to people that did more good things than a lot of us. They did good things on the outside. But then he changed his words. You're a pretender. You're a hypocrite. You're like a beautiful grave on the outside. It looks good, but on the inside, it's full of death. On the inside, it's not what it's supposed to be. Do you know that if you will bring God what's on the inside, if you let him change it from the inside, it'll fix all the outward stuff. See, we put on masks and we try to, we have, we have this thought. We all think, we think. If I wear this mask long enough, I'll actually become that person. Never works. Ever. The outside gets fixed by the inside. It has to happen in here first. Turn off all the lights. I want, I want to teach you a principle. Turn off all the lights. Um, Satan loves to work in the dark. He works so well in the dark. In fact, Satan does his best work in the dark. Jesus does his best work in the light. You can put that point up there for me. So this, this stage is kind of like our heart. Um, in our heart, we have all kind of hidden places we think God can't see. Over here is where we struggle with pornography. Over here is our secret addiction we don't want anyone to know about. Over here is how jealous we are of our neighbor. Over here is our wrong motives. Um, over here is we want people to see us and think well of us. Uh, over here is who we're like at church. Over here is who we're like at work. And God's saying, all I'm asking you to do is take those things that are in secret Take those things that you think nobody knows about and almost just, just bring them into the light. Jesus does his best work in the light. That's where, this is where healing occurs. This is where miracles happen. And Satan tells you, oh, if you bring in the light, oh, God's going to be so mad at you. He already paid for what you're doing in the dark. He knows about it. Now, it says in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, the Lord brings to light the secret things that are hidden in darkness and exposes the true motives of the heart. I've told you before, I, I got five kids, and one of my kids um, had a make-believe friend growing up. And I'll close with this. His make-believe friend was named Bisho Mino. I don't know where he came up with it. Um, I actually have a picture of Bisho Mino. Do you all want to see a picture of him? There it is, right there. And so um, he's gotten older since last I saw him. But anyway, and so Bisho Mino was very convenient because anytime my son did something wrong, it wasn't his fault. It was Bishamino's fault, of course. Um, son, did you make this mess in the room? Oh, Dad, Bishamino must have done that. Um, did you eat this last cookie? Wasn't me, Dad. It was Bishamino's fault. One time I walk into my son's room, and he's got a permanent marker in his hand. Puts it behind his back. On his wall, his name is written in permanent marker. 
I said, did you do that? And here was his words. Dad, I saw Bishomino do that. I said, okay, listen, son, I'm going to give you one more chance. If you're lying to me, if, if anyone's lying, they're going to get a spanking. And as serious as he could, he said, Dad, you're going to have to spank Bishomino. So I threw Bishomino outside and buried him under the ground and threw him out the car and got rid of him. But let me ask you this question. My son was hiding the marker behind his back. Do you think that my son fooled me at all? Was there any part of me that thought, maybe he didn't do it. Maybe it was Bishomino. Anything in me thought that? Okay. God can see the marker behind your back. He can see in front of you, behind you, all around you. He's everywhere. Why not just bring it to him?